Good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, is where we're headed today as we continue going through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 21 in a little bit. Uh, but as you're turning there, I'll uh, begin uh, with just a little bit of a story. Some of you guys know that a couple of years ago, um, my dad and my stepmother got a place up here in Washington. Uh, they, they got a place up here. Uh, it's just a little ways east of here uh, in the mountains, a little town uh, or near Roslyn is the name of the town. And that's, that's where they are. It's this beautiful cabin-like home uh, with this forested backyard. Um, and it's, it's incredible. My dad was especially excited to explore that foresty area that, that they now have and work on the grounds. And, and so one of the things he asked for for Christmas two years ago after they got the place was a chainsaw, right? Uh, you know, you, you need a good chainsaw to maintain the, the forest and the, and the ground and the area there. Um, and so we, we got him a chainsaw and he, he loved it. Now, this year, Amidst quarantine, uh, one of the things that my parents did, like I think many of you, was yard work, right? Many people, you know, kind of were feeling cooped up, so you went outside and found stuff to work on. Uh, and, and my parents were the very same way. And so they, they took to yard work. Day after day, they would send us photos of some of the work that they had been doing, uh, digging up weeds, planting flowers, clearing out old limbs and, and fallen trees, all kinds of stuff. And so to be ready for the job, my dad got all geared up uh, with his chainsaw, his mask, his gear. Uh, I asked him permission to show this, uh, and he said, that's fine. What in the world are you preaching on that you want to show me with a chainsaw? I said, it's okay, dad. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, this is him all geared up, ready to, to do his work. Um, uh, he spent a lot of the summertime cutting up old trees that had fallen over that needed to be removed, clearing out some of the clutter, uh, splitting logs. But he also used the chainsaw uh, to, to build some new things, right? One of the things that he built are these little benches that he's sort of scattered around the trails on their property. Uh, and so there's these nice little pockets where you can sit down and, and you know, take a, take a break and look around amidst the trees. It's great. Another thing was he, he cut this long piece of wood that they had made into a sign that's hanging over the front of the, the forest. And if you can read that, it says Enchanted Forest on it. And so they, they now have this name for the, the forested area in their backyard. And, and they love it. I love what my parents have done with their new place, and I'm really proud of them for the, the work that they've put into it, because they, they really have worked a lot this year. And so why am I telling you all of this? Well, I, I want to draw your attention back to that chainsaw. Uh, you see, this tool is something that my dad has used extensively as he worked on their land this year. It's been an essential tool for cultivating and caring for the land, and also for creating things like those little benches and that big sign, right? Chainsaws can be used for all kinds of good, and yet they also have the potential to do great damage as well. 
right? I mean, a chainsaw can be used to chop up wood and build a house, or it can be featured in some kind of gruesome horror movie, right? These are the ways that the chainsaws can be used. You know, one of them is its intended purpose, and the other one is this destructive distortion of its purpose, right? Now, the passage that we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, uh, this passage has often been used to justify a great deal of violence and destruction, just like a chainsaw in a horror movie. But I want to contend, as we look through this passage today, that its intended purpose is to cultivate and create rather than to demean and destroy. It's meant to build up rather than break down. This is what I hope we can recover as we read this passage and reflect on it together today. So let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only while being watched in order to please them, 
but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters, do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word, the gift of the good news and reminder that you, Christ, care for us, your body. God, I pray that as we consider these words in the scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, in the passage today, we have submission, we have obedience, and we even have mention of slavery. There's a lot of modern-day bad words in this passage. And as I already mentioned, this passage has historically been used to justify all kinds of abuse, all kinds of evil. Abuse in marriage, child abuse, slavery. Yeah, as such, this passage has often been used, like I mentioned, like a chainsaw in a horror movie. But to use this passage in that way, not only does violence to other people, it also does violence to the passage itself. Because when you read the passage that way, you are ripping it out of its context. And you're chopping it up and choosing only certain parts. If we read the whole passage in its context, we're going to see something quite different. So I want to take some time today to consider the context of this passage and then reflect on a couple of ways that I think this passage is meant to cultivate and create rather than demean and destroy. All right, so first, let's consider the context that this passage is in. I want to look at both the literary and the cultural contexts that I think are going to help us understand a little bit better of what's being said. So first, literary. What do I mean by literary context? What I mean by literary is that the actual way the words are being used here matters. And the way that the words fall matters. Without the right literary context, things can get very confusing. Here's an example that I've heard before. Consider the differences between the phrase, let's eat, grandma, and let's eat, grandma. There's a big difference, right? Right? Uh, where you put the emphasis and where you place the comma make a big difference in what you're saying, right? In the first one, you're inviting grandma to come to the Thanksgiving dinner table and eat. In the second one, Thanksgiving just took a really dark turn. And fortunately, maybe some turkey got away free, but poor grandma, right? You see what I mean? 
language matters. The way that we use language matters. Context matters. And so for this passage, where we start matters. Now, I want to do a quick poll. Several of you have your Bibles out. Um, I imagine there are probably a few different translations that people are looking at. And so I just want to ask, um, where does your translation put a section break in this passage? Right? Uh, some of you, verse 21 might be at the end of the previous section. Others of you, verse 21, is the start of the section that we just read. Right? Different translations will, will break this up differently. Uh, and the reality is, is that, well, both are correct. Because verse 21 is kind of this bridge verse. Uh, it's both the end of the previous section and the beginning of the next section. And so if you remember last week, we were reading the, the first part of chapter 5, and, and it's all about being light in the darkness. And, and towards the end of the passage, it says, hey, here are some ways to be light in the darkness. One of them is by praising the Lord, right? By singing to the Lord psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, a second way, it goes on to say, is giving thanks in all things to the Lord. And then a third way is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is another way that we are light in the world, is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But if you end there, and then you start the next section by itself, wives, submit to your husbands, without the whole context coming before it, well, it's very different. And verse 22 actually requires verse 21 to make sense. I don't normally do this, but I want to show you some Greek. All right? This is verses 21 and 22. You can see the English on the top and then the Greek underneath. All right? In verse 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right? This is what the Greek says. And then in verse 22, you see wives. And then in the Greek section, do you see the dot, dot? There is no word submit in the Greek. There is no word be subject to in the Greek. It just says wives to your husbands, as you are to the Lord. It uses the verb from the previous verse. If you only read verse 22, well, then you don't have a verb. You just have wives to your husbands. Well, wives what to your husbands? Well, be subject to. But he's saying that to everyone, right? This is just an example. And so throughout the rest of of the passage, we see example after example of what it looks like to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, for husbands, for parents, for children, for slaves, and for masters, here are all ways to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not something that only one person does. This is something that everyone does. The context matters. We have to pay attention to that. There's another context. Why in the world is he using this list of people? Why, why talk about 
wives and husbands and children and parents? And why talk about slaves and masters? Well, there's a cultural context that Paul is speaking into as he names this different list of people. And so, for cultural context, I have another uh, example for you. Whenever I was a teenager, uh, it was very popular to make these sort of spin-off Christian versions of popular things. All right, so, so there were all these t-shirts. Here's an example. His way, right? But Subway, right? That's, or, or Jesus, King of Kings. Well, Reese's, right, is what it's looking like. Or, or some more, right? Matthew. Mustard seed faith, right? And then the other one, catch up with Jesus, right? These, these goofy spinoffs of popular things, kind of doing this Christian spin, right? The only way that you'll understand these is if you're in the context of the culture. Otherwise, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why in the world would that logo with, with those words, you know, what's going on? The only way that you can understand this is being in the cultural context. Well, the very same thing is happening here in Ephesians. There's a, a cultural context that Paul is sort of spinning off a Christian version of. So the cultural context is something that's come to be called the household codes. And it was this understood way that households functioned and who the members of those households were. This goes all the way back at least to Aristotle, hundreds of years before Paul. And Aristotle, in, in his little piece called um, Politics, is what it's called. It's him, not politics the way we think about them. He's writing about just the ordering of society. Uh, and and in, in that, he writes about, he says, the investigation of everything should begin with its smallest parts. And the primary and smallest parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. That's what Aristotle wrote, right? He sort of broke this down and said, hey, here are the basic building blocks of society. And he just sort of addressed that. And many followed Aristotle after him in reflecting on these basic building blocks of society. You have the, the household, which is made up of, of husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And this is just the way that society is built. This is the way that it functions. And so whenever Paul begins to write about these, it would have been immediately recognizable to the people who he's writing to. Just like the various logos on those t-shirts were immediately recognizable to you. You've seen them everywhere. You know exactly what they're referencing. You know exactly what's happening. And oh, look, there's kind of the Christian version of that. And it's clear that this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's sort of taking a very recognizable set of, of relationships and speaking into them Christian truth, gospel wisdom. And yet the way that Paul presents them is, incre is incredibly subversive. Uh, in most of these household codes from Aristotle on, uh, more or less what it said is, all right, these are the relationships that exist. And, you know, the, the father of the family has all the power and can pretty much do whatever he wants. Everyone else submits to him. Wife, you need to obey what he says. Children, you need to obey what he says. Uh, 
Slaves need to obey what he says. He has all the power, all the authority, makes all the calls. And that's pretty much what these codes would have said. But Paul, when he addresses each of these relationships, doesn't only speak to the fathers of the family, the men in the family. He actually starts by addressing who? Wives. Then he talks to husbands. And then the next set, he starts not by talking to fathers. He begins by talking to children, then the fathers. And the same thing is true in the last set of relationships. He doesn't begin by talking to masters. He begins by talking to the servants, then the masters. In each instance, Paul says, hey, every member of this household has dignity, has worth, is worth being addressed at all. And so he begins by addressing wives. And yeah, he, he does talk about submitting and, and that sort of thing, but then he goes on to address husbands. And guess what? Husbands don't just get all the power and authority. They also are to love, lay down their life for the same thing goes. He, he talks to children, and yes, children do need to obey their parents, but he goes on and he talks to parents. You don't just get to do whatever you want to to your kids. Hey, don't provoke them to anger, right? Right? There are some limitations on that power. And then the same thing is true at the end. He doesn't, you know, he, he addresses the, the servants, the slaves, and he says, hey, yeah, you do need to, to follow and, and, and do this sort of thing, but, and this is probably the most profound thing, when he addresses the masters, what does he say? He says, do the same to them. So, hey, if, if the, the slaves are going to serve their masters, well, the masters need to serve their slaves as well, right? Over and over and over again, the pattern of relationship here is mutuality. The rule is that everyone submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone is subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this is the headline. Verse 21 is the headline of this whole section of Scripture. And so I just want to dig into that a little bit and reflect on, all right, what does this mean for us? Right? We can see the context that Paul is speaking into. Literarily, and culturally. So what does this mean for us now to, to reflect on these things? All right, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christian life is fundamentally oriented toward one another. Christian life is fundamentally oriented toward one another. This is something that, that is so clear as we read through this passage. And we've seen it time and time again throughout the book of Ephesians. We don't do life alone. And so, husbands and wives relate to one another, right? Have, have, have a relationship with one another. Parents and children relate to one another, right? They have a relationship with each other. Masters and slaves relate to one another. They have this relationship with one another. This is core 
to Christian experience. The fundamental Christian orientation is toward one another. And not just toward one another. It is a posture of service to serve one another, be subject to one another, right? This is universal for everyone. Everyone is called to serve one another, to be subject to one another. And we see this over and over again throughout the passage. And so wives serve their husbands, but husbands also serve their wives. Children obey their parents, but, but parents also serve their children. On and on it goes. Mutual submission is the posture and the orientation of Christian life. This is how we live. Jesus modeled this time and time again. Most profoundly, when he gets down on his feet, on his knees, and washes his disciples' feet. And they immediately object, no, 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 don't do this, right? Because he was beginning to blur all these lines. You're, you're the master, we're the servants. He says, no, I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? I, I must wash you. I must wash your feet. This is what Christ does. And so the way of, of living as followers of Christ begins to blur all of these lines as we submit to one another, become subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is the second part, out of reverence for Christ. This is, is the, the place where we both see and show Christ to one another in the world. Our relationships are the way that we see and show Christ to one another and to the world. So whatever role, whatever relationship you find yourself in, there's this opportunity to find Christ there. He does this over and over again. You know, these household codes are not just a, a secular thing that he's quoting, right? He's giving that Christian spin. And so he says, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, right? He, he infuses the marriage relationship with holiness and sacredness. This is not just a practical thing. This is not just, you know, something that, that you do. This is a place where we experience the Lord. He says the same thing to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The marriage relationship is not just some practical thing to, to do, not just some legal thing to sign off on. It's a place where Christ is revealed. It's a place where we discover who God is. The same is true in, in parents and, and children, right? This is a relationship where we have the opportunity to discover God as our Father, right? God is our loving, holy parent. And it's an opportunity to be 
a parent that pictures that. And then even this this last uh, relationship that he named slaves and masters. Now, I, I do have to say a little bit more about the cultural context of this because the kind of slavery or servanthood that existed in ancient Rome is very different than what we imagine when we think about it in American history, right? Uh, The kind of—certainly there were abuses that existed in ancient Rome. Uh, Those things did exist, but the kind of, of slavery that existed during that time was less like someone having been more or less kidnapped and forced into service, and more like someone who owed a debt and was working that debt off. Uh, Very similar to the kind of of ways that we are enslaved to all of our mortgages, credit card bills, student loans, whatever that may be, right? And we have to work to pay those off, right? It's it's just like that. Many times in, in the ancient world, people were working to pay off a debt. And this is why elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says, hey, if you have a chance to become free, well, by all means, take it, right? If you can pay off your debt, go for it, right? This is, this is what Paul encourages. But, but as long as you're working to pay off your debt, work hard. Work for Christ. And we can apply this to ourselves as well as we work. Those of us who, who have jobs, who work uh, in, in, in the workplace, we can read these addressed to us. Hey, do your work with fear and trembling. Do it unto Christ, right? Not only while being watched in order to please them, but as a servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women. Knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether slaves or free. As we work, we work unto the Lord, right? And, and some of you may, in your work, be in positions of authority, right? Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you oversee other people, right? And if that's you, well, serve your employees. Take good care of the people in your charge, Do the same to them. Stop threatening them. For you know that both you and them have the same master in heaven. And with him, there is no partiality. And so even this relationship, slaves and masters, or or perhaps for us, the workplace becomes a place where we can both see and show Christ in the world. Now these are the... Roman household codes that, you know, Aristotle and others later came to name, and and Paul is sort of riffing on those. But I wonder today, what would our modern-day household codes be? What other relationships might we add to this? Maybe we think of friendships, extended family members. You you name it, all right? Fill, Fill in that blank, whoever it is. What does this look like? today. The the truth is the same. The fundamental orientation is toward one another with a posture 
of service. And it is through this service that we both see and show Christ to the world around us. And this is not just something that we experience as individuals. Paul is speaking to the church. And so I love how Paul uses this opportunity to once again illustrate what it means to be the church. He's done this over and over again throughout Ephesians. He's talked about the church as a body. He's talked about the church as a building. He's talked about the church as a society, a country that you become a citizen of. Here, he talks about the church as a marriage to God. We're, we're people who are married to God. I love that. And so we, as the people of God, not only are to serve one another, but we are to be a people who go from here to serve the world. A people who care for those who are in need. Who, in the places where we are not an authority, work hard and well and lovingly. The places where we do hold some measure of authority, we take care of those in our charge. We show them love and service. This is who we are as the church in the world. People crossing the street to create peace and discover God's kingdom. So this is not just some practical, you know, to-dos for being in a family. This has to do with who we are. People fundamentally subject to one another because of Christ. Christ serves all of us, and so we serve the world.